not knowing whether they were going to come back. And they would sign up for six months or a year's duration. And then they would come back, check on their homes, and they would go sign up again. They had to risk everything with no security. See, we look at this and we know the end result. But they didn't. In fact, the leaders understood, listen carefully, because they were well known to the British government, the leaders understood that if they lost this war, they would be hanged as traitors. Because in the eyes of England, they were committing treason to fight against the king. But if they didn't do that, we wouldn't be where we are today. We wouldn't have the freedom that we celebrate this weekend and tomorrow. It wasn't because they met. It wasn't because they knew they had grievances. It was because they went and did something about it and they left their security. They risked everything to fight for what was called a just, a just cause. They were inexperienced, but they were more determined and they were more committed than the army that they fought. And as a result, this inexperienced, ill-equipped, undisciplined group of ragtag soldiers defeated the largest, best-trained army and best-equipped army in the world. And I've read the accounts from back in England and they couldn't believe that they lost. It was written by some that these small army, this ragtag army, this undisciplined army, turned the world upside down. But I share this because there are many similarities to the church today. And there's much we can learn from these men and women. It wasn't just men. You know, we get so upset at the ungodliness that's in the world today. And it's just growing by leaps and bounds. We get so upset and so angry at our leaders, political leaders, religious leaders, and others who seem to be leading, don't seem to be leading this, us as a nation, and you saw some of the evidence of that, in an ungodly way, in an ungodly direction. And we don't just meet in our meeting halls, our meeting halls church, by the way. But we also meet in homes. We meet in small groups. But we meet online in chat sessions. We meet online on social media and we share views back and forth. And almost all the views, and I don't look at very much of that, are all complaining about what's wrong. Really, just like they did back in the Revolutionary War. But the difference is, they did something about it. They got out of their homes. They got up out of their pews in, in, their, in their meeting halls and they came together and committed themselves to face the enemy and to do whatever it took to win a political battle, which was real. And we enjoy the benefit of that today. But the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has a more just cause. We have a more just leader. And most of the time the church is weak because all we do is look at what's wrong and we don't do what's needed 
And these men, I know we think a lot of these men were Christians. A few of them were, from my knowledge, but not a lot of them. They had godly principles. They believed in godly ideals. But we have no evidence that many of them were actually born-again Christians. Whether we like it or not, we're in a war. Before World War I, the wars were fought out on battlefields by professional soldiers. And the regular citizen people (laughs) really were not directly affected. They were affected by the results. But World War I, and especially World War II, brought the war into the cities and in the towns where the average person who were not trained to fight suddenly found themselves in a war. And whether they liked it or not, they had to wake up and realize, we don't like this, we're not trained for this, but we are in a war. And that's where we are today. We are in a spiritual war. And Satan wants to lull us to sleep and get us fighting the wrong issues and being committed to the wrong causes. Not that they're wrong, but that's not what our purpose is. Whether we like it or not, we're in a war. And our spiritual war, which I believe we're losing, is because we're not willing to do what our forefathers did. The early church did. I wish we had the time this morning to really go through this in detail. But I encourage you to read the first 15, read the book of Acts. Interesting, the first disciples gathered in a room called the upper room. And they gathered together, but they didn't gather together to, to express their grievances. They gathered together because Jesus told them to do it. Acts chapter 1, can you put that up there, verse 4? And being assembled together, so they're in church, He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which He said, You have heard from Me. Keep going. John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And He's been teaching them before what the Holy Spirit is. Go verse 6. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked Him, saying, Lord, He's been raised from the dead by now. Will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? So they didn't understand what their purpose was. Verse 7. And He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the season which the Father has put in His own authority. By the way, hold that there. It's still not for us to know. And people go, I think Jesus is coming back this year. Great, you can think what you want to think. But if you go further, Jesus doesn't even know. It's only as the Father tells him. Verse 8. Here's what's important. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and as a result of that power you shall be my witnesses or witnesses of me. In Jerusalem, that's right where you are. Judea, that's the area they're in. Samaria, that's the next country out there. And then to the other parts of the earth. The word power there is the Greek word dunamis, from which we get the word dynamite. The other word that's often translated authority is the Greek word exousia, which means authority. 
But power, this word power literally means the ability of God to accomplish, the ability of God to accomplish something, the ability of the God who created the universe with His words and still holds it together with His words and is still expanding at a rate that our scientists have trouble believing and they wonder where that power came from. It came from, let there be. That's the power He's talking about. And the Holy Spirit, you are to wait because you've got the information. I've trained you. I've taught you. I've commissioned you. And with all that training, and think of who did it. You still don't have what you need. You need to wait until you've received the power of God. And then you can be witnesses of me. And by the way, that's what we're commissioned to do. We're commissioned to be witnesses of Him. That doesn't mean you go hand out tracts or knock on doors. That may be a way to do it. But it's who you are, not what you do. And then what you do will represent who He is and you. That would be worth writing down. Okay. And that's not on my notes. They waited until they received what He promised. Now that word wait's important for us this morning. Because first of all, we're not good at waiting. We're, 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 we're by and large Americans, we were, we're doers, we want to get it done. And then we get impatient, impatient, when we don't see it happening fast enough. And when that happens, we want to take more control and make it happen. And Jesus said, wait. He told them what to wait for, but they didn't know what that was. See, waiting requires something. We're going to talk about this a little later on. Waiting requires something that's not easy for us. It requires submitting our flesh to what somebody's told us to do. It requires us to be patient. Well, Lord, how long do I have to be patient until you stop asking how long I have to be patient? I remember we were in Oklahoma going to Bible school and I mean I want to go to Bible school because God called me to but I thought when he sent me to Tulsa, Oklahoma what did I do wrong? I mean I was raised in New England we got, uh, we got water they have water too but it doesn't move it's man-made lakes I'm used to the ocean and, and, and all the roads are straight and there were almost no hills and where we were in school was called green country I think that's because there were three trees that's an exaggeration but that's how I felt And I had to go to school. My deal with God is I can go for nine months. And God tricked me. He got me out there and then dealt with me to go for two years. And then when two years were over, I was itching to get back and God wouldn't let me leave, us leave. And I finally said, God, I, 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 I want to I go. And He says, I will not allow you to leave until you're ready to stay. Waiting requires submission. It requires patience. And it requires faith when you don't know what you're waiting for. It requires a surrender of control and of your understanding. And it requires a humility to realize you don't have it all together. You've got to wait for somebody else to direct you and to give you their ability. But they did it. 
They were faithful to wait. And Acts chapter 2 gives us the results of what happened, what they came for. The Holy Spirit filled each of them, filled the room where they were, filled each of them, and things immediately began to happen. They couldn't keep it in the room. Nobody told them to go out of church and do anything. They could not contain it because they were so filled with the presence of Christ by the Holy Spirit. They went out the doors. They burst out of the doors and everybody knew they'd done it because a crowd started to gather around because of what was happening. And we don't have time this morning to go through all those details. But they couldn't contain it. They had to go out and do something. The power of the Spirit of God in them could not be contained. Multitudes came together to find out what was happening. They didn't have to put advertising out. They didn't post websites and billboards and Twitter and all that stuff. The Spirit of God brought the crowd. Let's go to... And then Peter gets up. When they wonder, what's going on here? Peter preaches a sermon. It's a long sermon. He quotes a lot of Joel chapter 2 to explain what the Holy Spirit is doing in there. And let's go to Acts uh, 2, the verse I gave you. 40... Here we go. No, 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 no. That's 4. Acts 4. Acts 2. Verse 40. There we go. And with many other words, he testified. This is the end of the sermon. And exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Next verse. And those who gladly received the word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to the kingdom. Peter preaches, we're talking about the power to, to accomplish something. Peter preaches a spirit-filled message and 3,000 souls entered the kingdom of God. Keep going. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. Next verse. And the fear came upon every soul. That's reverence, which we really lack today. And many wonders and signs, that's miracles, were done through the apostles. Next verse. Now all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. Next verse. Sold their possessions and goods. That's not God's going to tell us to do that. I'm not talking about that. And divided them among all as anyone had need. Keep going. And so continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity, and simplicity of heart, last verse, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Look at what this power did. Look at what this impact did. Look at what happened. Many signs and wonders were done by them. Miracles took place. They were everyday occurrences. The believers became unselfish. And wherever they saw a need, they were willing to give whatever they had according to the need. Nobody had to tell them. And many other souls were added to the kingdom. Now that's a great start. Acts chapter 3 then. Now Peter and John are on the way to the temple to worship, and they come in, and there's a man who's lame, he's been there every day, sitting there, lame from his mother's womb, from birth, he's never walked, and he's there with a license to beg, and they must have passed him many other times, but this is different, they're past him now, filled with the Spirit, with the power of God, 
And he does what he was asking before. He says, he's asking him for, for alms, for money. And Peter says to him, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. And they grab him by the hand and the man's legs straighten out. And he starts jumping around, leaping and jumping for joy. Now everybody in the area knew who this man was. And now he's running around screaming and yelling and so happy and joyful because God has demonstrated that he's real and he's there. The crowds begin to come together in wonder and amazement and they begin to think that maybe Peter's a God and preacher, Peter preaches another message that it wasn't him who healed him but it was Christ, this Christ who they crucified who healed this man and another 2,000 men were saved. But now what, often, what almost always happens when God begins to move, Acts chapter 4 those people who were offended resist them and they arrest them. See, this is what the church fears. This is one of the reasons we stay. And I'm preaching to me today as well as you. Believe me. This is why we stay in the safety of our meeting places because when we go out there and talk this way and do these things, we get resistance. But didn't Jesus say, didn't Jesus say, that you will have tribulation? Didn't Jesus say, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you? Didn't Jesus say, didn't the first century disciples rejoice when they've been counted worthy to be suffered and persecuted? Why? Because it meant they were like Christ. And we want to be comfortable. We want to be blessed. We want to have all our needs taken care of, and God will take care of your needs, but God has a need that He needs us to take care of. So there was resistance. They were arrested and questioned by the religious authorities. Acts 4, verse 7. That's what you put up before. And when they set them in the midst, these are the religious authorities, and they said, by what power or by what name have you done this? Referring to healing with the man at the gate, beautiful. When they set them in the... the Peter filled... Look at this. Filled, now this is the same Peter who only a little less than two months before this, when Jesus was arrested... Two months before this, when Jesus was arrested and a little girl, a cleaning girl, who, who couldn't do anything, asked him, aren't you one of his disciples? And Peter said three times, no, I don't know the man. And the last time he cursed. This same Peter now is standing up boldly, first of all in the square and now to the same religious authorities that arrested Jesus. And look how he's talking. Phil, but here's the difference. Phil with the Spirit rulers and peoples and of the elders of Israel. Keep going. If this day we are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, who raised, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands whole before you. Keep going. This is the stone which the builders rejected who has become the chief cornerstone. Keep going. There's no salvation in any other, nor is there any other name under heaven by which men must be saved. Verse 13. And now when they saw, look at this, the boldness. The boldness. The soldiers that went out to fight and conquered in Lexington. The soldiers that went out to fight 
on the other battlefields of the Revolutionary War, there was a boldness that they had. Where's the boldness of the church? When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, but they marveled because they realized that they had a good cause. No, they realized they'd been with Jesus. When people see us, do they look at us and say, wow, I'm not sure how you're doing what you're doing, but I can tell Jesus is in you. I can tell you've been with Jesus. Go down to verse 19. Peter and John answered them, because what they've been commanded is to not preach in that name. See, the, they knew what the problem was. Oh, I've got to really move on. Not to preach in that name. And their answers, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God you judge. Verse 20. But we cannot but speak the things which we've seen and heard. Are we there? We can't keep quiet because of the things we've seen and heard that God's doing in our life and the lives of others. We cannot help but see, speak. So go down to verse 29. So what happens? The church gathers to pray. They don't hold the protest. They don't go down to the prison with signs. They don't, they don't send text messages out. They don't post on, on, on social media how terrible this is. They get on their knees and pray together. Lord, look at their threats and grant that their servants with all boldness may speak your word. Keep going. By stretching it, stop a second. Notice they're not praying for deliverance. They don't hold a prayer meeting to pray that they may be rescued from this. They hold a prayer meeting to ask God to give them boldness so that they won't cave in to the resistance that they're against. And pray, go back to verse 29, that we with boldness may speak your word. Now notice how, verse 30, by stretching out your hand to heal. See, healing is an integral part of the gospel. Because notice there's a, by stretching out your hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. So the same things he did, we are called to do. I got I to move on. Now there was a reaction. Acts chapter 5. There's great power is now in the church. So much so that when there's an offering received, two individuals lie to the Holy Spirit about what they gave and they drop dead in church. Oh, there's a good way to increase your attendance. <laughs> See, when, when, the, when the power of God comes and the holiness of God comes... Holiness will deal with any sin. And they lied to the Holy Spirit and they died on the spot. And there was such reverence and fear of God that what happened is greater miracles began to take place. More miracles were done. Go to verse 12. Now through the hands of the apostles many signs and wonders were done among the people and they were all with one accord on Solomon's porch. That's part of the temple. Keep going. And yet none of the rest dared join them. I guess not. The people esteemed them very highly. They respected their leaders. Keep going. And the believers were increased, increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of them, both men and women. Keep going. So that some, they brought, listen, listen to this. They, they brought the sick out into the streets 
and they lay them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Imagine you get up in the morning to take your dog for a walk and your neighbors start bringing out sick people in the hope that your shadow passes over them. Say, well, that's just Peter. We'll talk about that in a minute. Next verse. And also multitudes gather from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were, some of them healed. No, all of them healed. They went out and they brought the message they'd been given out into the streets, out to where people lived. And they did the same things Jesus did when He walked on this earth. But didn't He tell them that? And the works that I do, shall you do also and greater works? Because I go to my Father. It didn't just end with them. We don't have time to go through this in Acts chapter 16 and 17. It's Paul now. Paul wasn't even one of Christ's original disciples. Paul is out there. And he's bringing the gospel into pagan areas. Highly religious, highly pagan areas. And he's in Asia Minor where Turkey is today and the Spirit of God stops him from going further and directs him to go up into Philippi and down through Macedonia into Achaia where Greece is now. And read the stories in there because there's a story of how God used him to bring the gospel. But in Philippi, in Acts 16, he gets in trouble again. And they bring him in, they throw him in jail. They beat him, throw him in jail. He's in stocks at midnight. Stocks, not not bonds and stocks. His feet are bound up. And instead of feeling sorry for himself, instead of getting on his phone and texting people, Instead of, instead of, you know, posting something on his Twitter account, Paul starts singing praises unto God. And the ground begins to shake. And the earth begins to move. And the doors of the cells fall open. And the chains fall off. Supernatural things happened. And the jailer's now scared because under the law at that time, if you, if you, if you're who you was, you were responsible for escaped, you forfeited with your life. So he's going to fall on a sword and Paul says, no, we're all still here. And the jailer's so happy, he brings Paul home with him, washes wounds, feed him, and as a result, the jailer's family, whole family gets saved. In the middle of this persecution, people are getting saved. Because Paul didn't sit in his study just reading these things and writing these things. He went out filled with the Spirit of God. Acts 17 continues this story. I don't have time to go into all that. And the testimony in Acts 17 when they arrested Paul is they said, these men that have turned the world upside down have come here also. All right, yeah, but pastor, that was, that's the book of Acts. That's, that's for the apostles. That's for Paul. But, 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 but we understand that those things happened because we didn't have the Bible yet. But see, now that we have the Bible, we don't need those things. 
Really? Really? Just, just look at the world today. And then look at the church. And see how they were afraid of the Christians. They didn't like them, but they were afraid of them. They saw them as the people that turned the world upside down. And how does our world, our community, see us? We want them to like us. They didn't like them. We're concerned with our reputation. The reputation we'd be concerned with is Christ's reputation. Not my reputation, whatever it is. I don't find any scripture that says those things were to pass away. Well, well, 1 Corinthians 13, I don't have time to get into this in detail. 1 Corinthians 13 says, you know, but now we see dimly, but then we'll see face to face. And they think the Bible means we're going to, that's what we see face to face. But first of all, do you understand everything in here? I don't. I don't know anybody does. So we still see dimly. And face to face implies a person, not a book. So it's talking about when Christ comes back and we see Him as He is, but until He comes back and demonstrates Himself, He needs us to be His demonstration in the world today. Oh, I've got to really move on. So what is it? Why? What do we have to do? First of all, realize we have to be dissatisfied with where we are. I think the end of Peter's message still applies. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now when they heard these things, they were disturbed and went home and thought about it while they had their July 4th cookout and talked a little bit about it. No! They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? When you're touched by something, you read. When you're touched by something that you hear in church or somewhere else, and your reaction is, what do I have to do? You've been touched by the Holy Spirit. What must we do? So that's our question. What must we do? What's his answer? Peter said to them, Repent! We don't like that word. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive what we do, the Holy Spirit. So the first thing is repent. Before God, in this word, and I'm not thinking of every example, before God did things, really moved, He required repentance. Moses, sees the burning bush and God calls him and commissions him to go back to Egypt to set my people free and on the way back Moses almost dies God it says afflicted him we don't like that but it's what it said when Moses cried out the reason was Moses hadn't circumcised his sons so what's that all about because God commanded the Jews the Hebrews from Abraham on, to circumcise their males on the eighth day of their birth. Why? It was a sign of a covenant God had made with them. And by not doing that, they had broken the covenant, and now Moses is about to go back, and God's going to perform mighty deeds through him. He needs to be right with God. And to have not brought his sons of his household 
under that covenant by that rite of circumcision, Moses was exposing his family. That's a message right there. Because of his disobedience. The children of Israel under Joshua, right before they're supposed to cross the river, and they're facing Jericho, this mighty city with the walls around it. And God has given Joshua the instructions of how to bring those walls down. But before he does that, he instructs Joshua to make sure that all the males have been circumcised, that they're all under that covenant. Because this is the first generation that's come out of Egypt. They've just lost, they've been sloppy. Sloppy with the things they knew were right and wrong. And God required them to get things right so that he could flow through them the power that he wanted to flow through them. John the Baptist, whole message, because he came to announce the coming of the Messiah, and his whole message was, Repent! Jesus, once he's commissioned, once he's been baptized in the Jordan, he's filled with the Spirit, the Spirit brings him into the wilderness to be tempted by the, by the devil. Forty days later, he comes out in the power of the Holy Spirit, and the very first words out of his mouth is, Repent! Because the kingdom of God is here. Peter's message we just read, twice he says it. Repent! What does that mean? I thought we're Christians, and I thought our sins covered us. Yes, but are you right Is your heart right before God? The first commandment, everything comes from that first commandment. I is who God is. I am the Lord, your God. Who brought you out of Egypt, which is the world. Out of bondage to your sin. You shall have no other gods before me. A good place to start is what other gods do I have in my life? What are the things, it's all about the heart. What are the things that I allow in my heart? And the wonderful thing is you have the Holy Spirit in you if you're a Christian who's probably been trying to show you what these things are. So one of the signs is, where have you been resisting? What are the things you know you should read you don't want to read? What are the verses that are in there you just don't want to read? Because usually that's because your flesh doesn't want to face those things because they're the very things the Holy Spirit wants to talk to you about. Get things right with God. Second Chronicles 7.14, they quoted it this morning. It's quoted so often when we're praying for this nation. But there's a part of this that I almost never have heard a preacher talk about when he's talking about praying for a nation. If my people call by my name, that's us, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin. I left something out, didn't I? Because that's how we read it. And turn from there. He's not talking about the world. He's not talking about the nation turning from its wicked ways. He's talking about his own people. Remember, he's the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I will send... John says, you will, when John is baptizing Jesus, says, he is one I'm not fit to untie his sandal. And when he comes, he will bring a winnowing fork and he will send the Spirit and the Holy Spirit and fire to burn out the chaff. Then I will hear from heaven, forgive them sins 
and hear their land. God has to deal with his own people first. In fact, I think it's in Hebrews it says that, 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 that when God wants to deal with us, even the church will be scarcely saved. That doesn't mean we won't make it. It means we've got to go through stuff to purify us. So when things go wrong in your life, that's a good way to find out where you are. When something suddenly goes wrong in your life and something you're expecting to happen doesn't happen, prayers you're praying don't get answered, what's your reaction to that? You get mad, you feel sorry for yourself. I'm talking to me too. So it begins, in fact, Hebrew says judgment begins at home. And judgment doesn't mean condemnation. Judgment means discerning, drawing a line between what's right and what's wrong in your life. Hebrews 12 says, because there, there's so many of the people that have gone on before us, from this own, I was thinking of this this morning as we were worshiping. There's so many of our own here that have gone on before us, and they're looking over, Hebrews 12, 1, they're looking over the banister of heavens, Pastor Sam, Denny, others, many of our elders that are looking over, and they're rooting us on, but they can't do anything. The only believers who can have any impact on this world today is the ones who are alive today. That's you and me. And then he says, let us lay aside the sin, and the weight and the sin that so easily besets us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So what do we have to repent of? What are you trying to avoid? We cannot have the Holy Spirit's power flowing through a clogged vessel. The second thing is we have to do what the disciples do. We have to wait. That's such a powerful word that I do not like. Waiting. They waited. We don't have to wait for the Holy Spirit to come because He came on the day of Pentecost. But we need to have the same attitude they had. Because waiting is, I don't know what to do. If I know what to do, I'll go do it. But I don't know what to do, so I've got to wait until I'm told what to do. And as American Christians, we're not very good at waiting to be told what to do. Waiting for instructions. One of the basic things they teach you in the military, because it's called basic training, is to not think for yourself. Is <laughs> to wait until your sergeant, and wait until your commanding officer tells you what to do, and then you just do what he tells you to do. That's what Jesus did. He didn't think for himself. It's not that he couldn't. He said, I only do. I only do what I see my father do. I don't go off on my own ideas. I don't say, you know what? I know what the scriptures say. I think it will be a good idea to go this. Jesus didn't do that once. He only did what he saw his father do. And he, oh, here's the hard one. He only said what he heard his father say. If we did that, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, all these things would probably shut down because it wouldn't be as much to say as is out there. If this is going to happen, if God's going to be able to pour His power through us, because that's how it's going to happen, it's not going to come out of this building, you're the building. We have to get in a place where we're able to wait and hear. So that requires humility. It means I don't know the answer. And my mind works by always trying to find the answer. This has been one of the struggles of my life. I'm talking to you about where I am now. Figure out what to do. 
How do I solve this? I see something wrong in my life. Well, I can, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? What do I need to do? And it didn't work out very well. But I'm learning to get quiet and start my morning by, Holy Spirit, you're in control. You're in control. I don't know what to do. I come in here, and that's where I have my attitude. I don't know. I know what I think is in my heart to say, but I have to put it all into your hands, whatever that is. And that takes faith to do that. That's the attitude we have to learn to do. Recognition. How impotent we are on our own and how much we need Him. We have to learn to be sensitive to His leading and and that's a trial and error thing. Something you grow in but you've got to start. And the speaker we had this week gave a great practical example of that. If you don't know how to discern the voice of the Holy Spirit and you're a Christian, that means the Spirit of God is in you through your conscience, in your conscience. So what do you sense in you when you go to do something and something in you says, no, nah, you shouldn't do that? That's the Spirit. And until you learn to obey that, you're not going to hear much more. Uh, you shouldn't say that. Or I, you said it, you were wrong. Go apologize. That's the voice of the Holy Spirit. And this is, this is primer stuff. This is what you begin to learn before He can tell you to go raise somebody from the dead. We have to learn to trust Him, ourselves to Him. We have to learn to yield to Him. I want to close with some, just some closing scriptures. Again, this is the Spirit, I believe, speaking to me. This is the things He's been speaking to me about. And I'm nowhere near there. In fact, I prayed yesterday, Lord, I'm not sure I should even bring this message because I'm just learning this myself. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. And then he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by your might, not by your power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Keep going. Who are you, O mountain? So he's telling him to speak to the mountain. God's going to teach us how to speak to things. Jesus taught his disciples to speak to things. We speak to things all the time, but not God's word. That stupid thing. Who are you, O great mountain, before, before Zerubbabel? Notice he's standing in for God. You shall become a plain. And you sh- notice he's prophesying over it. He's telling him what's going to happen. And he shall bring forth the capstones with south shouts of grace. Grace to it. But it's not by your might. It's not by your power but it's by the Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we've just been finished talking about this and renewing the mind. For though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. This whole section of Scripture is dealing with a world that's, that's saturated at His time with humanism and ungodly thinking and ungodly messages and ungodly methods of thought, ungodly philosophies, and He's telling them how to bring it down. For we don't walk in the flesh. That's what most of the church is doing. You don't war according to the flesh. When we get mad, when we get frustrated, when we post things, when we get complain, that's the flesh. There's no power in that. Verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, they're not carnal. But they're mighty in God. Satan is so scared of the church that we wake up and discover who we are that we wake up and discover why we're here, that we wake up and discover who lives in us. 
Mighty through God for the pulling down of his strongholds. We'll stop with that one. And then I want to close with Revelation 12. We know this is part of it. We hear this verse so often. This is in a a section of Revelation where it's talking about a war. It's talking about the dragon, Satan, who reviles reviles against us. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of Christ have come. It's here now. For the accuser of our brethren who was accused of them before our God day and night has been cast down. Satan's been defeated. Verse 11. And they overcame him. Remember this verse? They overcame him. They overcame the enemy. This is how we'll overcome the enemy in the world today. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. They were washed in the blood of Christ. They were made clean. They were, they were claimed by God to be his children, washed in the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony, by declaring who Christ is, by speaking, opening their mouth. And that's where most people end their quote of this verse. But like the soldiers in the Revolutionary War, and they love not their lives to the death. I don't know if we're there. I don't know if I'm there. So most likely you're probably not there either. But God wants to get us there. He wants to get us to the place that we will literally commit our lives to Christ to the extent that we'll commit our lives to his cause. And the scariest thing is when you have an enemy that doesn't care whether they live or die. I don't have time to get into it. That's how World War II was being ended in the Pacific Theater. Satan's so scared of us that we'll wake up and realize that we're already dead. I was crucified with Christ. Therefore, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. In the life that I live today, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. I said at the beginning, this is what I believe is a prophetic message. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm not telling you what not to do. I'm speaking a message over this church. Pastor Sam and Donna founded this church 43 years ago. God supernaturally required them to come here and birth this church. This church has been through all kinds of things that have come against us to destroy us, to undermine us, and to drive us out of here. But we're still here. And I believe with all my heart for what God put this church here for has not yet happened. Has not yet happened. But I believe God's preparing us just as he prepared the people with John the Baptist's message. God's preparing us. So I'll end with this. Only you know where you are. What has God been dealing with you about? What is the, what's, what's been going on inside of you that's making you uncomfortable? The message today is just to wake you up and me up. It's time to listen and to decide, am I going to join what Christ has put me here to do? Am I going to learn to live not so much as that video talked about for my pleasure and what I'm getting out of this? Am I willing to live my life for the one who gave his life so that I could have that opportunity? And you can't do it in your own strength. 
Philippians 2 said, it, said it's, it's, it's for those. For God, it is God who is at work in us, both to will and to do His good pleasure. But the verse before says, let us work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That's not whether you're going to heaven or not. Let us take what God's put on the inside of us and work with Him to bring it out with fear and trembling, with reverence that it's a God who is at work in us. It's a holy God who is at work in us, who has a holy purpose. God cares about that world that's out there. God knows what's about to happen, that this is going to close, and the opportunity for people to come to Christ is going to close, and the time is getting short. In fact, if you go on reading in, in, in Revelation, it says the devil knows his time is short. That's why he's roaring the way he is. And it's time for us to stop just meeting in our meeting halls, but to pick up our muskets and our bayonets. That's not physical weapons. It's the weapons of the Spirit. And to be ready to go out where God calls us to go.